We're going to take our Bibles and turn back to the Old Testament, because it still applies today. And uh, the book of Haggai, some call it Haggai. It's okay, everyone has a right to be wrong. Haggai is the phonetic pronunciation, we'll go with that today. You can pronounce it differently. If you aren't sure where to find it, go to Matthew, start turning back. You go back three books, and uh, that area where the pages are all still real new and stuck together. And uh, Haggai, chapter number one. This is that same bottle of water that I've been using. I trust that it is mine. If it wasn't originally, it is now. I'm layering my germs on top of whoever else may have used it. So anyway, we'll take it as mine now. Haggai chapter 1, and uh, let's stand this morning for the reading of the scripture. We'll begin in verse number 1. In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, in the first day of the month, came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet unto Zerubbabel the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua the son of Josedek, the high priest, saying, Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying, This people say, The time is not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. Then came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet, saying, Is it time for you, O ye, to dwell in your sealed houses, and this house, speaking of the temple, lie waste? Now therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Ye have sown much, and bring in little. Ye eat, but ye have not enough. Ye drink, but ye are not filled with drink. Ye clothe you, but there is none warm. And he that earneth wages, earneth wages to put it into a bag with holes. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the mountain, and bring wood, and build the house, And I will take pleasure in it, and I will be glorified, saith the Lord. Ye looked for much, and lo, it came to little, and when he brought it home, I did blow upon it. Why, saith the Lord of hosts, because of mine house that is waste, and ye run every man unto his own house. Therefore the heaven over you is stayed from dew, and the earth is stayed from her fruit. And I called for a drought upon the land, and upon the mountains, and upon the corn, and upon the new wine, and upon the oil, and upon that which the ground bringeth forth, and upon men, and upon cattle, and upon all the labor of the hands. It's an interesting passage of scripture, and we're going to get into that this morning, but the title of the message actually comes from verse number 5, where the Lord says here, Now therefore thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Consider your ways is the title of the message this morning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for the opportunity that we have this morning to be in your house and to be in your word. Would you help us now at this time as we dig into this passage of scripture and begin to understand uh, everything that was going on here, but also how these things might apply in our lives individually. Would you challenge us, Father? Would you uh, rebuke us if necessary? Would you encourage us and strengthen us and help us to grow in our love for you and our service to you today. And Lord, as always, if there's someone here that is without Christ, we do pray that today your spirit would bring them under conviction and show them their need for salvation, that they would be born again today. We'll rejoice in all that you do in your house and ask this now in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. 
The book of Haggai is the account, really, of the preaching or prophetic ministry of this prophet. Of course, it's named after him, and, and it's a very short book. It's just uh, two chapters long, 38 verses in total, I believe, and really not very lengthy. And again, it kind of gets lost among all the other uh, minor prophets there near the back of the Bible, and often uh, maybe we don't pay a whole lot of attention to what's going on here. But this is actually a very significant time in the history of the nation of Israel. Uh, if you are aware or familiar with the history of the nation of Israel, you know that uh, they were there living in the land of Israel as God's people and for a, a long time, of course, a divided kingdom. And, and there was idolatry that was taking place, primarily in the northern ten tribes of the kingdom of Israel, but it also began to creep into the, the southern tribe of Judah there. And, and the Lord had warned them and told them that if they didn't repent of their idolatry that they would be carried away into the land of Babylon, and that's exactly what happened. In 605 B.C., the, the, the nation of Israel began to be carried away into Babylon, uh, into Babylon and, and ultimately that, uh, that exile was, was completed, or the carrying away of Israel was completed in about 586 B.C., and, and Israel found themselves living in a pagan land in, in, uh, in Babylon uh, as a second captivity. They had come out of Egypt hundreds of years earlier, now they're in Babylon, but this captivity was significantly different than the Egyptian captivity. In Egypt, they had been slaves and were under taskmasters, but in Babylon, they were actually fairly comfortable. They were able to kind of just settle in and live life as usual in Babylon, and for 70 years, the nation of Israel was kind of uh, just scattered among or, or, or had kind of melted into the nation of Babylon. They were just living there in some comfort. And, and the Lord stirred up the heart of uh, the pagan king Cyrus at the time to send back those of the nation of Israel who wanted to go back into Jerusalem and to begin worshiping the Lord together publicly once again. And so they, he, they began to send them back. And in about 535 B.C., uh, around somewhere around 50,000 of the nation of Israel would return to Jerusalem with the express purpose of rebuilding their temple. If you can imagine what that must have been like for them, this was the, the, the temple in Jerusalem was kind of the symbol of their identity as the people of God. This was the, the thing that reminded them that God had chosen them and called them out. It was the, the center of their worship. It was the center of their service to the Lord. And that had all been destroyed uh, during, during the carrying away of Israel. And now they have this privilege and opportunity to go back into Jerusalem and to reassimilate into life uh, as the people of God, a separate people, a called out people. And the public worship of the Lord could be reinstituted in Jerusalem, and in, in uh, 535 B.C., that's exactly what happened, and 50,000 people went back to Jerusalem and, and, and offered sacrifice to the Lord, and they began rebuilding the temple, and they laid the foundation of the temple, and it was dedicated there. You can just imagine what that must have been like as they saw the work of the Lord and the hand of the Lord sparing them from the, in other words, they, were, they had been somewhat cast off by the Lord, but he was now bringing them back. They were seeing revival, and, and how exciting of a time that must have been. But something happened there. When the foundation of the temple was laid, there were some of the 
the older folks that had been uh, around and living in Jerusalem at the time of the carrying away into Babylon, and they remembered what the first temple looked like. That temple that Solomon had built there that was so majestic and, and so wonderful and, and really was that symbol of their prosperity and the blessing of the Lord. And now they're looking at this foundation that's being laid on a second temple there on the Temple Mountain and something just kind of grips them in the heart. Things aren't ever going to be quite the same as they used to be. This temple, the, the foundation was smaller. It wasn't nearly as impressive and so there was actually some discouragement that began to creep in among the people. The, the book of Ezra details it for us and tells us that the, the voice of the people uh, actually that, that wept was kind of blended with the voice of the people that shouted for joy. And, and, and uh, in the midst of the rejoicing, there was also discouragement taking place. Well, then the enemies of the Lord came against them and began to tell them, hey, you can't do this. And, and they began to try and weaken the hands of the people. And some, some financial difficulties came upon them. And basically what happened was, after the foundation of the temple was laid, they left off building. And I believe the intention was that they were going to start it up again at some point. But because they left off building, they thought maybe temporarily we'll just put this on hold and kind of push the pause button, and of course then uh, it became necessary for the people to set up life again in Jerusalem. Here they are in a city of ruins, and so it's necessary. I've got my family with me. I need to build a house to live in. We have to have food to eat, and so we got to plant some fields and, 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 and earn some income and be able to feed the family and take care of those things. And so while they had come to Jerusalem to lay the foundation of the temple, or to build the temple, they laid the foundation, but then they got kind of consumed with just living life. And what happened was, for about 16 years, nobody was building on the temple of the Lord. You could walk past the, the temple mount there in Jerusalem and look, and you'd see a foundation that had been started... But no work was being done. It was just there. Now, if you would have asked the average person in Jerusalem, what is the foundation there for? They would have said, oh, that's the temple. We came back to rebuild the temple. And one of these days, we're going to get busy about rebuilding God's temple. But in the meantime, we're kind of busy with these other things. Someday, we hope to get started on that again. And so now here the Lord sends this prophet, the prophet Haggai, and he sends him back to Jerusalem with the express purpose of contacting the leaders of the people, namely Zerubbabel and, 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 and the high priest Joshua. And, and, uh, and he, he goes to them with this message from the Lord, basically to stir them up and to tell them, hey, don't forget why you came back to Jerusalem. Don't forget that you came here to, to rebuild the temple. And that really was the, the reason that the Lord sent Haggai to them. It was to cause them to consider. That was his message. In fact, in these 38 verses, we find the word consider like five different times. Where, where this is the message, the Lord is saying, consider your ways. I want you to just take, take knowledge of, take note of, and, and really take some stock as to where you are in the service of the Lord today. I think it's important for us even in the 21st century here today, to just once in a while stop and take account of our lives and say, what am I really doing with my life? And where am I? And, and how is my service to the Lord? And so I want to just kind of get into this first chapter of Haggai this morning 
and just make some application to our lives as we, like the people of Israel, consider our ways. I want to first point out to you the excuse of the people. Notice in verse number 2, it says, Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying, This people say... The time is not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. So here's what he's saying. The, the, the Lord comes to them and he says, I know the reason that you would say that you are no longer building on the temple of the Lord. Here's the reason that you're giving. It's not a good time. It's not a convenient time. The time has not come that the Lord's house should be built. It seems strange to me that that would be their excuse that now is not a convenient time to be obedient to the Lord in this matter because that's the very reason that they uprooted their lives in Babylon and returned to Jerusalem. They came back to Jerusalem to work and to serve the Lord and to build a temple, but now they're saying, you know, it's not really convenient for me to do that right now. Someday I'm going to get to that. Someday I'm going to uh, get, get busy on that once again and we'll get stirred up to do this but as of right now, we have work to do. We've got to take care of our families. We need to build our houses and all of these different things. And honestly, I think this reminds me uh, specifically of, of many of us as Christians today who one of our, our primary excuses for not serving the Lord, not being faithful, not being involved can be, you know, it's not that I've given up on serving God. It's just that right now life is busy. Have you ever noticed that in the busyness of life, it's easy to let our service to the Lord kind of falter? I, I don't know about you, but I know for me, there are things that happen in life, and, and we, we talk about things throughout the year, right? Boy, if we can just get past the holiday season, you know, everything's so busy right now with all the family things going on and everything, and we get through the holiday season, and then it's like, the, you know, the first of the year takes off. And we got all this stuff going on as we're trying to get things started with the new year. And then tax season comes. And we think, boy, you know, life is just busy. And then we think, you know, if we can just get through the spring and into the summer. A summer, you know, school's on break and, and things kind of calm down a little bit. And then you get to the summer and you're taking vacations and visiting family and doing this and doing that. And you think, okay, once we get back to the fall, and this is what I love, we get back to the fall. We say, we're going to get back in the swing of things, Right? Because everything's all messed up in the summertime. And so we're going to get back in the swing of things in the fall. And then you've got the beginning of school. And then guess what? Pretty soon you're back to the holidays again, right? And I don't know if you've noticed this, but I know for me, when I might expect that life is going to slow down and settle down, but it never seems to. I never seem to get to a point where I say, you know, I really don't have a lot going on right now. I'm kind of bored, actually. You know, I could probably find a few extra things to do. No, it, it, most of us, we've got jobs, family, uh, different responsibilities, things going on, and life is just busy. And if we're waiting for a convenient season to serve the Lord, I can tell you, it's never going to come. And it wasn't coming for them. I mean, 16 years, that's a long time for a foundation to be sitting there with no building on it. But, hey, it just wasn't a good time, right? Their focus had completely shifted. Notice if you look down to verse number 9, the Lord says, this is the Lord, this is not man's opinion, but in verse number 9 he says, Ye looked for much, and lo, it came to little. 
In other words, here's what the Lord is saying. You, you're saying that you just are doing what you have to do to get by, but in reality, you are looking for much. You are looking to prosper. You are looking for prosperity and, and wealth. You, you, you lost your focus of why you came here. Your excuse is, hey, you know, we've got to eat, which is obviously a legitimate reason. But their intention had actually become to be prosperous and successful. And while there is nothing wrong with that in and of itself, what was wrong with it is that that had become their priority and their focus. It was all about themselves. It was all about their own lives. And folks, we've got to be very careful not to allow the things of this world to take priority in our life and get in the way of the very reason for which we are saved, by the way, to serve the Lord. Jesus said to his disciples in Matthew 6 and verse 33, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. In other words, there is nothing wrong with what these Israelites were doing building houses and planting fields and taking care of the needs of their family and even seeking prosperity and looking for much. There was nothing wrong with that except, here's what was wrong with it, they said it wasn't a convenient time to serve God, but they had plenty of time to do the things that they felt were important to them. You know, the reality is we'll make time for the things that are important to us. We really will. Uh, you know, I think it's probably no secret to most of you here. I'm a football fan. I'm a Green Bay Packer fan. Don't talk to me about the game last night, please. Uh, we're in church. I don't want to get in the flesh. Anyway, um, and I don't, I don't waste a lot of time watching football, but I'll tell you what, when the Packers are in the playoffs, I'm going to find time to watch a game, all right? Because it's a priority. It's, it's not really, but it's something I'm interested in, and it's something I... I, I I make time for it. Now, that's a silly little thing, and it's really one of those things that I could let that go because there are other things that are more important. But the reality is that when we say, you know, I just don't really have time for that, what we're really saying is that's not as important to me as something else that I could be doing. And so the, the problem was with these people is that they were busy meeting the needs of their own lives but ignoring the work of the Lord that he had sent them for. Notice in verse number 3, it says here, Then came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet, saying, Is it time for you, O ye, to dwell in your sealed houses, and this house, the temple, lie waste? Is it really God's will and God's plan for you to live in comfort and to live with all of your needs being met? Meanwhile, the house of the Lord is sitting on a back burner, with the idea that someday, sometime, I'm going to get to that. I think that there are very well-meaning Christians with the mentality and the idea that someday I want to serve God and I really want to do more for the Lord and I want to get more involved and I want to get more plugged in, but I'm just... Things are so busy right now with family. We got little kids or, you know, we got kids that are participating in sports or things are busy at work right now. It's just not a good time. Someday I really hope that I can get more involved in serving the Lord. But folks, I'm telling you, someday will never come. And pretty soon life passes by and our opportunity to serve the Lord is today. 
And so we ought to make it a priority in our lives. And, and while what they were doing was not wrong, their priorities were out of place. And so while they gave excuses, I want to show you that they also had some exasperation. The Lord was rebuking them. Because in verse number 5, he says, Now therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Ye have sown much, and bring in little. Ye eat, but ye have not enough. Ye drink, but ye are not filled with drink. Ye clothe you, but there is none warm. And he that earneth wages, earneth wages to put it into a bag with holes. <laughs> you know what he's saying here? Take, take stock of where you're at today. And be honest with yourself. You're working and laboring for all these things, but you never come to a point where you have enough. You never come to a point where everything that, you know, okay, I just need to plant this field so that I can get a good harvest, and I'll get the good harvest, and I'll have enough food to feed my family for the winter, and I can sell the rest and, and have a little bit of uh, money set aside. But that never happens. You never get to that point. You're, you're working and you're working and you're working, but it's not achieving anything. I don't know if you've ever felt that way before, but the reality was that the Lord was not blessing the work of their hands. In fact, the Lord was allowing this to take place because he was seeking to chasten them, to rebuke them, to cause them to consider their ways. Verse number 7, he said, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. Verse number 9, Ye looked for much, and lo, it came to little. And when ye brought it home, listen to this, I did blow upon it. In other words, it wasn't just circumstances or the situation around them that was causing them to be laboring in vain. It was actually that the Lord was against them. The Lord was not blessing the work of their hands and was actually causing them to come up short. And the reason was because their priorities were out of line and he was trying to get their attention. Hey, wake up. Don't you see that this isn't profiting? This isn't working. Verse 10, he says, Therefore the heaven over you is stayed from dew and the earth is stayed from her fruit. And I called for a drought upon the land and upon the mountains and upon the corn. And he goes on from there. It was the Lord's doing. It wasn't a coincidence that they were not prospering in what they were doing. It was actually the Lord himself seeking to cause them to remember and recall the very reason for which they had come back to Jerusalem. You see, the principle that we learn here and that we find is that God wants to have first place in our lives. He wants to be the priority. In fact, we read over in the book of Colossians that in all things Jesus is to have the preeminence in our lives and in his churches. We find that we're told to, that we're to honor the Lord with our substance and with the first fruits of all of our increase. We find the New Testament principle that we worship the Lord on the first day of the week, that we are to give God of the first because uh, uh, he is to have first place. Israel was told to give the, the firstborn unto the Lord. And, and we see that God wants to have priority. He wants, he wants to be the priority in our lives. And he had, not, he had, he had become, uh, was sitting kind of on the back burner in the minds of the hearts of the people of Israel. And so because of this, he was not able to bless them because they were, they had turned, 
They had turned aside to their own ways and to their own ideas and to their own efforts rather than serving the Lord. And so they were exasperated. <laughs> Everything that they put their hand to, it seemed it was cursed and they could never get enough. And it's a, really a vicious cycle when you think of it then. Because when you have a lean year of harvest, now you've got to work twice as hard the next year and try and make up for it. And when that doesn't come through, you've got to work twice as hard and, and, and all of a sudden you find yourself just spinning your wheels. Really what these people needed to do was turn back to the Lord, put Him first, and allow Him to take care of their needs. Did you know when God has first place in your life, He'll meet your needs? He's promised that. We, we said that, uh, in fact I mentioned it a moment ago, in Matthew 6.33, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Now in other words, what that means is God's not saying... That if you will put me first, I'm going to make you so prosperous, you know, you're going to have money coming out of your ears and you're going to have more than you. He's not saying that. Well, here's what he's saying. If you will put God first, God can take care of the rest. All the work and all the energy and all the effort that you're pouring into meeting the needs of your life, if you would just leave them to me, I'll take care of you. It doesn't mean that you don't put your hand to the work and, and do those things, but what it means is that your priorities need to be in line and trust that God can take care of your needs. So this is the message that, that the Lord is speaking to the people. Hey, wake up. Consider your ways. Where are you? What are you really doing? So we've seen their excuses and we've seen their exasperation. But I want to show you their excitement here. Because to me, this is the best part of this whole chapter. When we get to verse number 12 and down through the end of the chapter, it says, Then... Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, the, and Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God, and the words of Haggai the prophet, and the Lord, uh, as the Lord their God had sent him, and the people did fear before the Lord. So this message, this, this rebuking sermon that Haggai is bringing to the people on behalf of the Lord... It worked. <laughs> As a preacher, that's encouraging to me. <laughs> Sometimes you, you, you preach and you wonder, you know, are, are, are we getting it? Are we taking it in? Are we receiving it? Well, it did because they heard it and they obeyed the voice of the Lord. What did they obey him in doing? They considered their ways. They, 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 took, they took stock of their life and they began to work again. Look at verse number 13. Then spake Haggai, the Lord's messenger, in the Lord's message unto the people, saying, I am with you, saith the Lord. <laughs> Boy, how good would that be after God just said, Hey, you know all the struggles in your life? You know all the, the, the things that you do that seem vain and you're just spinning your wheels and you feel like you're stuck in a rut? Yeah, that's because my chastening hand is upon you. But now he says to them, I'm with you. Now, instead of being against them, he says, I am with you. I'm there to help you. I'm there to strengthen you. How exciting would that be to, to, to hear that from the Lord? Hey, you got your heart right. You got your priorities right. And now my hand of blessing is upon you again. And then we look at verse number 14. And it says, And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and did work in the house of the Lord of hosts, their God. Verse number 15 is probably the, the best verse, I think, in all of this chapter. 
in the four and twentieth day of the sixth month, in the second year of Darius the king. Now you might say, what in the world does that have to do with anything, and why is that the best verse? Here's why. Here's why I get excited about that verse. Because their priorities and their focus had shifted over time. Because it wasn't necessarily one thing that turned their attention away from the Lord. It was just life that got in the way and over time they drifted. But everything changed on a specific day. Here's why that encourages me. Because life gets in our way and we drift. And things come in and over time it's like we can become distant from the Lord and pretty soon we wake up one day and realize that everything that we have ever done in the service of the Lord is in past tense. It's yesteryear. It's the things I used to do for God. And we wonder, what, you know, what happened here? But folks, it may have taken time to drift to where you are, but everything can change today. Everything changed for them on a specific day. And the Bible even tells us the day. It was the 4 and 20th day of the 6th month. Everything changed. There was a revival that happened in the lives of the people on a day. They were stirred. I love what it says there in verse 14. The, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel and, 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 and the, the spirit of the people. The Lord stirred them up. I think what had happened is they had lost their excitement for serving God. And they had become consumed with other things, but the Lord stirred them up. Folks, my prayer for me and my family and for our church is that the Lord would stir us. That the Lord would stir us up. That, 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 that He would cause us to consider our ways. And, and, and maybe some of us need to look at our lives and say, you know what, I've drifted and I've allowed other things to become priority in my life. But I really want God to have first place. And my prayer is that even today the Lord would stir up the spirit of the people. And that we would begin to experience some personal and real revival that would change everything in our lives. That happened for the nation of Israel here on the 4 and 20th day of the 6th month. You see, a lot can happen in a day. How many of you remember the day that you were saved? Amen. Me too. That changed everything. One day changed it all. I remember the day that I got married. Do you remember the day? Do you remember the date? May 19th, 2007. We're coming up on 15 years. I remember that day. It wasn't maybe quite as special of a day to me as it was to my wife, but it was very significant because it changed everything. It changed my life completely. I remember the day that our first child, Isaac, was born. It changed everything. A lot can happen in a day. And here's why I'm so excited about this chapter and this passage of scripture, because a lot can happen in a day, and I believe that God can be working today in our lives to see something change in us. Now folks, I want you to understand, and please don't misunderstand me, I'm not accusing anyone here of anything. I'm not trying to say that, you know, as a church, that, hey, we're just not doing anything for God. That's not at all what I'm trying to say. Here's what I am saying. I know that I 
have a tendency to drift in my focus. I know that you do because you're Christian people and I know Christian people, okay? I'm one of them and I've been around them my whole life and I know that it is a tendency that we have to drift in our focus and to lose focus and that's why it's such a major theme in the Bible and so, so much a theme of even Jesus' preaching and teaching. And so today, my encouragement to all of us is to consider our ways and to allow the Lord to stir up our hearts to make the necessary changes that we can get back to doing and serving the way that He would have us to. Everything could change. Maybe you've drifted in your walk with the Lord and it just isn't what it used to be. Friend, it all can change today. Maybe you just have kind of given up on serving the Lord or maybe a better way to put it would be you just kind of put things on hold because of the circumstances of life. And I'm just saying everything can change today. Maybe you're here today and you've never been saved. You're far from God because you're separated from God because of sin and you've never received His sacrifice his his forgiveness through the blood of Jesus Christ and if that's you today I'm just saying it can all change today you can leave here a new person today because of Jesus Christ everything can change in a day in a moment so my question today is as we consider our ways could it be that God wants to do a work in your life today and if so, are you willing to consider your ways and let him stir up that spirit within you and make the necessary changes?